This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 374. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by a special guest who I'm going to introduce in just a moment. But I want to go ahead and just take care of our sponsor message, get it out of the way. So we don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. And we'll jump right into today's content, which is going to be fascinating. I know that. But uh, today's episode sponsor, real simple, just one sponsor. And it's probably going to come as no surprise to any of you that have been uh, following things this last week or so. But today's show is sponsored by their new Range Tech BT Shot Timer. This Bluetooth shot timer, which you can find at concealedcarry.com forward slash timer bonus, because we are still until midnight tonight during this special launch uh, period where we have two great bonuses that come along with this, a training DVD with handgun shooting drills and a little power bank for charging your shot timer and or your phone on the go. So you can pick up this new great training product at concealedcarry.com forward slash timer bonus. And the cool thing for you podcast viewers and listeners is that if you purchase and forward to us your receipt for your range tech uh, Bluetooth shot timer, forward it to podcast at concealedcarry.com by midnight tonight. And we will send you in addition to the other bonuses, a free tactical pen. So we hope that uh, you'll take advantage of, it's over. It's like ninety dollars worth of bonuses for buying a very affordably priced because it's a lot more. Like, look, guys, I have a I have a shot timer right here that costs one hundred and forty bucks. I've got another one somewhere around here that's one hundred and thirty bucks. This one's priced seventy four ninety nine, and you're gonna get all these great bonuses. So, just during the launch period, though. So that's our sponsor of today's episode. And so, without further ado, as I said, we're gonna get right into the meat of today's episode. And we're so privileged and pleased to have with us Stephen Williford from Sutherland Springs, Texas. How, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I cannot complain. Uh, and I really appreciate you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us here on the podcast today. Uh, in fact, when I say busy schedule, I am not exaggerating that because you just announced this week, if I understood you correctly, from a recent Facebook post that you are running for County commissioner down there. I am running for County commissioner. I've, uh, I, I want to do what I can for my community. Um, big race going on. I have four opponents in this race and, and we're all on the Republican ticket. So it's a, it's a crowded ticket. Yeah, it's a, it's a crowded ticket and, and, uh, we'll go for the vote on, uh, in the spring, and we will probably have to have a runoff in the summer, but we'll know yeah. about the summer. So you're you're uh, you're in one of those areas with uh, rules such that you got to you have to have fifty at least fifty percent of the vote. Then have to be fifty percent plus one to to not have to have a runoff. Yep, and having four opponents, <laughs> the numbers are gonna that'd be awful hard to do. But <laughs> Yeah. Well, very exciting. Uh, excited to hear about that. And I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, you've already, 
Well, let's just, I, I would say this much from an outside perspective looking in, uh, whether you would agree or not, but I, I look at you and think, well, hasn't this man already done enough for his community? But, uh, but yet you are ready to step up to the plate and serve in a whole other way, which I think is remarkable. My three children and my two and almost three grandchildren will be raised in the same community also. I want to make my community the best it can be for them. That's that's great. And I know you've got uh, uh, quite a family. You were telling me just yesterday, I think it was, about uh, you got a couple of grandkids, a uh, couple granddaughters, and a grandson on the way. Is that right? I've got two granddaughters, and uh, both under two years old, and I got a grandson uh, due this spring. And that, that's just... That's great. All three of my kids are having children. All three of my kids are living close to each other. So the 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 grandbabies are going to be more like brothers and sisters than they are uh, cousins. Yeah, well, that's that's you know I love family and and having a big family in particular. I've got five kids of my own and uh, cousins and yeah oh, yeah thank you. Uh, that's, that's wonderful. I'm excited to hear about, uh, the grandchildren and the, and the one on the way. That's, that's, that's awesome. Um, so Steven, uh, you know, you and I, we were talking a little bit before, before we went live talking about kind of how we would, how this interview would, would go. And I think it wouldn't necessarily do things justice if we didn't talk about that fateful event just a little over two years ago. Um, again, this is the Concealed Carry podcast, and you know we we've done a number of interviews with folks that have used justified deadly force in defense of themselves or others, uh, because we feel like there's lessons that can be learned, and we definitely want to educate uh, our viewers and our listeners of the, of the Concealed Carry podcast. But I think you and I both agree that we don't necessarily want, at least for this particular show today, for for all of that to be necessarily the the sole focus of today's interview, but we also want to talk about uh, a lot of the positive things and the things that have happened after um, that day. And so, but if it's all right, if you could rewind two years and kind of give us that story, you can do it however you want. You could do it kind of abbreviated if you want. Uh, Probably many that are viewing or or listening have heard an interview or heard you tell your story somewhere. Uh, You certainly were kind of in the media all over the place there for a while. Um, But uh, would you mind going back and kind of telling us again, kind of how that all went down? November 5th, um, I was staying home from work or from, uh, I'm sorry, I was staying home from church because uh, I was going to start my on-call at the hospital uh, the very next Monday. And on-call, you carry a pager. And for millennials that don't know what a pager is, uh, it can get a hold of you where a telephone cannot. So I would have to carry a pager for 24-7 for the next week. And uh, 2 o'clock in the morning, I may have to go and fix a plumbing emergency at the hospital. So I was staying home from from church to um, try to get some rest. And my wife, since I wasn't going to church, she decided she would go to my younger daughter's house. We were building a tiny house for my younger daughter and her husband at the time, about five miles down the road from where we live. 
and she was taping and floating at the time. And uh, so she was going to go get what done what she could. And my older daughter was engaged to be married. So she was living with us so that she didn't have to sign another apartment contract or and uh, be stuck in a contract when she got married and then she would move into it with her husband. So she was staying with us. And part of uh, her staying with us is she had to wash dishes and stuff. So she was in the kitchen washing the morning dishes and um, she heard gunfire. Mm. She came into my bedroom and said, dad, doesn't that sound like gunfire? And You know, mind wants to make something normal out of something that is very abnormal. And I told her, I said, sounds like someone tapping on the window. And uh, I went and opened up the curtain and didn't see anything. She said, Dad, come into the kitchen. It sounds like gunfire to me. And she was panicked. I, I, do, you, do you mind if I ask real quick about how far from the church do you live? We're about 100 yards from the front door of my house to the front door of the church. Yeah. So just to put it in context, you're about a football field length from the church, from where all this shooting is taking place. So yeah. to you inside, you're, that's interesting to hear you describe it as somebody sort of tapping on the window. It was loud, but, you know, again, and, and they say the mind tends to, to work like that. It tries to make something normal out of something abnormal. It's denial. And the quicker you can get out of denial, the better off you'll be. So I, I looked out the window and didn't see anything. And she said, come into the kitchen. Uh, all three of my kids were NRA distinguished experts by the time they were eight years old with a pistol. I used to be an NRA uh, shooting coach and uh, instructor and uh, instructed a youth shooting league. And uh, we would shoot every week. All three of my kids know exactly what gunfire sounds like. I went in the kitchen and my house, we had closed in my carport and used modern insulation and, and double pane windows. The rest of the house was built in the seventies and has single pane windows and stuff. When I got into the kitchen, I said, it is gunfire. And I ran to my safe to get my gun out. And why I had my guns all in the safe was, is I had been burglarized and the burglar had gotten a gun before that. And so I started locking everything away. And today I, I don't lock everything away. I've got one at the ready at all time. But I ran to the safe and started opening the safe and getting a gun out. My daughter ran out the door. I didn't know it. But she ran out the door. She got in her car and drove up the block to find out what was going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she came back, I had gotten the rifle out of the, the safe, grabbed a magazine and started just grabbed a handful of ammunition and started loading ammo. And I had I called my wife and I said, where are you at? She said, I'm, I'm at Rachel's house. And she could hear the, the panic in my voice. And, and she said, what's going on? I said, stay where you're at. There's an active shooter at the church. And she said, don't go over there. And I hung up on her. And later she said, I knew you were going over there. 
Uh, she did whatever wife would do. She didn't want me in on it, but I couldn't wait. And my older daughter ran in the door and she said, dad, there's an active, there's a guy in black tactical gear shooting up the church. And I said, did you call 911? She said, I did. They're aware of it. <clears throat> well, right away, what that tells me is police are on the way. And I'm about to run out the door to the church with a rifle in my hands. And they're, they're coming to an active shooter. What are they going to think? I was, yeah. I was more terrified of the police than I was um, the shooter. And uh, I ran out the door and my daughter started to follow me. I told her, I said, go back in the house and load me another magazine. Now, I knew she couldn't load a magazine and come out and give it to me in the middle of a shootout. But I didn't want her following me over there because he already had too many targets I cared too much about. I didn't want her to be a distraction, and I certainly didn't want her to see me fail if I failed. But I ran across the street, and as I ran across the street, I yelled out, and what I believe that the Holy Spirit, I'm a Christian. I believe the Holy Spirit cried out from me and called out the demon that was in him because he had just shot Chris Workman in the back, paralyzing Chris. And he shot Chris's mother through the breast. And he was walking over as he did with everyone else. He would shoot them. And then he'd walk over and finish them off. And he was walking over to Chris and his mother, and Chris heard me yell, and other people in the church heard me yell. And he immediately came out looking for me. And as I ran across the street, uh, he came out of the church. I noticed that his vehicle was parked in the middle of the street with the engine running and the door open. And uh, he came out, and he started shooting at me. I ran behind a neighbor's pickup truck and uh, neighbor's truck got shot. The car behind me, the neighbor's car got shot. The windshield got shattered out of it. And he put the bullets in the house also. And um, I put bullets on him. Mm. He, he had on class three body armor. And uh, he had a SWAT style helmet on with a, with a dark tinted shield that came down around nose level. I, I couldn't even see his eyes. Mm. I put a couple of shots, center mass, and people say, well, why didn't you shoot him in the head when you weren't there? Mm. It's kind of hard to choose those shots that well. Uh, I put him, put a couple of shots, and later on, the coroner's report said that he had a contusion on his left chest and had a contusion on his abdomen. That tells me my bullets hit where they were supposed to hit. And I knew he had on class three body armor, but I was trained by a, by a San Antonio police officer and a former army ranger. Um, we, he used to be on my shooting team and I used to compete. And he always used to tell me if somebody, if it, if you're ever confronted with body armor, hit them in the armor, they will feel it. And then wait until you get your chance and then shoot them in the, the side, shoot them in the hips and shoot them in the legs. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, When I shot him the first two times, he quit shooting and he ran for his vehicle. And he had a pistol in his hand at this time. He didn't have his rifle anymore. He had dropped that. And uh, then when he turned to get into his vehicle, I saw my opportunity and I, I shot him in between the plates and the side and I hit him high in the legs. And he got in his vehicle he took his pistol and he put it to the window and put two more shots through the side window. And I saw those holes open up in the glass and the glass falling. Everything was in extreme slow motion. Mm. And um, I saw the slide action and brass coming out when he was shooting at me coming out of the church. I put one more and I, and I couldn't see him through the glass because it was reflected. And I couldn't see him through the glass. And I, I put one where I perceived his head to be and fired another shot. Coroner's report said he had an abrasion across his forehead. He accelerated. He turned and he ran down the road away from me, just moving as fast as he could. I ran out into the middle of the street. And by the time I got in the middle of the street, he was about 150 yards away. I put one more shot through the back windshield. And the police say that shot shattered the back windshield, went through the the driver's side seat and hit him just right at the left shoulder blade. Mm. And then I'm looking down the street saying, he's getting away. He's getting, how can I, you can't end this way. He's getting away. And uh, I looked to my left and there was a truck parked there. And I'd never met the guy in my life, but he was parked at the stop sign and he had seen the whole shootout. And uh, I ran over, tapped on the window and, and said, that guy just shot up the church and we have to stop him. He was on the phone at the, that moment talking to 911. He never said a word, but I heard the, the locks come unlocked. And I climbed in the cab with a long, tall Texan, mm-hmm. Western hat, a longhorn skull tattooed here and the horns going all the way up underneath his ears. <laughs> um, Johnny's probably... He's well over six foot tall, thin, good looking young man, got a toothpick hanging out of his mouth. And uh, we accelerated and took off chasing the guy. And he, I had figured out they had already got him, patched him into dispatch. He was talking directly to dispatch. And as we blasted down the road, I dropped the magazine. I looked and I had one in the bot, one in the top of the magazine, one in the chamber. I've got two rounds left. I didn't have a full magazine. I just had what I grabbed and I just had two rounds left. You were, you were using two, two, three or five, five, six. I was using two, two, three. Yes. Yep. Yes. So this is obviously, and I think everybody probably knows this by this point, this is AR 15 that you were, that you had grabbed obviously and, and loaded with, I mean, you're, you're basically fighting him with the same, same weapon, same weapon yeah. system. Yeah. I, I had an AR 15 and, and I had hand built mine. And cool. uh, I, I, I've got several AR-15s. Maybe I shouldn't say that out loud. But <laughs> I know that by now. I'm sure that's a, a shock to everybody that knows you. Yeah, I, uh, I have several AR-15s for different purposes. That one that I grabbed that day, I built as light as I could for moving. And I put an EOTech on it, which is red dot, holographic yeah. site. Most people... Your audience probably knows what a Neotech is. I I put that on it because I could 
I practice shooting bowling pins quickly, and, mm. you know, and compete at doing things like that, you know, moving and shooting. And I'm going to tell you, one of your sponsors has a training video, go out there, get trained, go do it, go, go play the game. It's better than golf and has a purpose, you know? Yeah. Golf is what golf is, but it doesn't have a purpose. You're not going to hit that ball and do anything in real life, you know? Yeah. So go out and shoot and get trained. The more you shoot, if you're just shooting at flat targets, you will not be ready. I have found out that the shooting in El Paso, I was invited to the governor's round table and the Walmart in El Paso, there were six, no, I'm sorry, eight concealed carry permit holders with guns that day. Mm. And they all chose to protect their families, which isn't a bad thing, and try to, to get out without their families getting shot. But I'm going to tell you, if if you're a sheepdog, if you're a true sheepdog, how you protect your family and say, leave, go through that door, get out of here, leave, I'm going to go confront him. And not only do I protect my family because he's less likely to follow my family if I'm occupying him, but I might protect your family also. Yeah. Well, that's clear by your actions on November 5th, 2017, uh, you ran towards the gunfire. You ran towards the danger, sir. So, uh, I don't think there's any doubts in anybody's minds as to what you would do if you were faced with another situation. Well, and that's, that's because of training. And that's what I'm saying. Go out and get trained. You know, uh, your sponsor is great. You know, I'm going to put a shameless plug for your sponsor here. If they've got a <laughs> video, go get it. Go go make it happen. Uh, if you're just shooting at flat targets and bullseye shooting is fine and good, but it's not going to help you in a real life situation. Go yeah. something greater. Yeah, I appreciate that. And one one last question before you continue on your story now with the the, the truck chase. Um, you said you yelled at he's inside the church when you ran up nearby and you yelled at him. Do you recall what you yelled? <laughs> You're ready for something deep and philosophical. I yelled, "Hey, hey, hey!" As loud as I could. If you can imagine the gunfire going on inside the church and everything, all the mayhem, and they were able to hear that inside the church, I, I believe, really honestly, I believe it was the Holy Spirit crying out, calling out. And my daughter in the house heard it. And, uh, you know, uh, when Jesus walked in the garden, walked into the garden with the two possessed men in the Bible, yeah, the, the demons within the possessed men said, we know who you are. Have you come here to torment us before our time? And he drove out the demons. I believe that was the same voice that called out the demon that was in the church. And again, he came out, he stopped what he was doing immediately mm. and came outside. And I, I truly believe it was, it was God calling out the demons inside the church. I can't call demons out. And, and I, I truly believe as he was shooting at me, I believe uh, I heard a voice and said, don't worry about those. I, I've seen a lot of guns fired from a lot of different angles, but never before one pointing straight at me. Mm -hmm. and, and the slide action and the brass coming out, I, I saw it all. And, and I heard a voice that don't worry about those shots. 
just do what I sent you here to do. And again, he put bullets in the truck in front of me, put bullets in the in the windshield of a car behind me. I had to I had to apologize to the neighbor for all the damage that he did. Uh, and and Fred says, "Oh man, you can use my truck anytime you want." <laughs> <laughs> wow. But we uh, continued down the road, and at first we didn't even see him. He had gotten that much of a head start on us, and uh, we were passing cars. And Johnny said he was doing over ninety-five miles per hour. I I believe at one hundred and ten percent. I had never met him before; didn't even know his name. And we were talking on dispatch, saying, "Okay, we just crossed this road. We just crossed that road." And and then finally, we came to to seven twenty-seven. And it was a farm road out here, 7227. And um, told them we had crossed that, that road. And then we saw him. Mm-hmm. I said, that's him. He was driving a, a gray Ford Explorer. And the back windshield was bashed out. And I knew that was him. I said, that's him. That's him. There's glass all over the ground back where I shot through the back windshield. And uh, I looked, turned and looked at Johnny, didn't even know Johnny's name. I said, uh, Johnny's driving one hand up here and one hand on the phone, kicked back, you know, looked calm, cool, and collective. And he says, uh, I told him, I said, you know, if you catch him, you're going to have to put him off the road. And Johnny just kind of looked over at me and said, yep, I already figured that. And wow. Thinking, My God, who am I riding with? <laughs> <laughs> He's probably thinking, I always wanted to try a pit maneuver. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, wow. So we started catching him, and um, I knew that at that point, I knew some of my shots had hit home because he was slowing down. And I'm thinking, you know, I had the window down, and, and I'm thinking, here it is. This is going to be it. I got two shots. He's got on class three body armor. This has to be good. Now he pulled off into the bar ditch and he had a, had a a road sign in front of his vehicle. And Johnny kind of pulled up a little bit behind him and stopped. And I, with my left hand, I reached and opened the door and started pushing it open. And I was going to step out of the vehicle and uh, I was going to use the door to, to block. And, uh, and before my foot even hit the pavement, he accelerated again. He hit the road sign. It flipped over the, the top of the vehicle. He went right back up on the road. I'm like, here we go again. And I shut the door. And uh, he continued about three quarters of a mile down the road. And then he went off to the left-hand side of the road through a fence and out about 50 yards out into a field. And uh, mm. stopped. And uh, this time he had run through a fence and run out into a field. And, and I told Johnny, I said, get down below the dash. And I got out and I put the rifle over the hood of the truck and started yelling some really rude obscenities. And I, I hope I get forgiven for that. I wanted to, I was really mad and uh, wanted him to know how serious I was. And, uh, Johnny got out and did whatever millennial would do. He took his phone out and videoed me. <laughs> I'm like, 
really? That's what you're doing? <laughs> he was out videoing. And uh, the police ended up confiscating the phone and the video. And uh, I waited from five to seven minutes, they estimated, holding mm-hmm. the gun over the hood of the truck and, and waiting to see and yelling and before the first officer showed up. And I guess another thing I would like to say is whenever the police get there, comply with everything they say. It'll, it'll work its way out. Just comply. Um, I was never so happy to see an officer in my life. And uh, I heard him come over the uh, intercom system. He said, driver, get out of your vehicle with your hands up. And uh, I looked up the road and I saw him. He said it again, driver, get out of your vehicle with your hands up. And I thought, okay, I'm, I'm done. I laid my rifle on the hood of the truck and I started to the back of the truck with my hands up. And he looked at me and made eye contact. And he said, not you. I was like, okay. I went back over and I picked my rifle back up. I, I didn't want any mistakes. Uh, but apparently he knew who I was. And uh, so I picked the rifle up and I held it back on the vehicle again until four or five more squad cars came and they got out AR-15s and I, I'm like, I'm, I am done now. But that first officer just had a pistol and uh, he was about a hundred yards and I was, I was about 50 yards. I had a rifle. I I only had two rounds, but I still had an advantage being a hundred, being 50 yards with a rifle as opposed to a hundred yards with a pistol. Yeah. So I, I waited until all the rest of the police got there. And then I, then I sat beside the truck and I was barefoot. I didn't have time to put shoes on. And people said, why didn't you have shoes on us? All those shots I heard, I couldn't take time. I had to get there. I had to get there and I had to have the essentials was my rifle and everything else didn't matter. Um, so mm. yeah, I, I was trying to get my feet into shade at the truck and here in Texas, it was 90 degrees on November 5th. Pavement was hot on my feet. And, uh, so I waited there probably 30 minutes trying to figure out what they were waiting on. And uh, finally started to run back. And they said, no, 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 stay where you're at. We'll bring up a police cruiser. And they drove a police cruiser up. And I was able to, to run back with using the police cruiser as a, uh, as a shield to get back to the rest of the police line. And uh, so, and I gave my statement to six different police departments at that that time, which a lawyer said, Oh no, never do that. Never do that. Wait till you get a lawyer. But, uh, it worked out for me anyway. Yeah. Steven, do you know how many shots you fired? Yes. And later they asked me how many shots and I said, well, there's a box of ammunition over there. It's a hundred round box. I said, I had two rounds left in the rifle count it and figure it out. It ended up six shots is what I fired. 
And then looking at the report, I hit him once in the left chest because he had a contusion. I hit him once in the abdomen. He had a contusion there. I hit him once in the ribs and the side. I hit him once high in the legs. That's four. Mm. An abrasion across his forehead. That's five. And then as he ran down the street and running away from me, I put the one that hit him just right at the left shoulder blade through the back window. That's six. I hit him six out of six rounds. It's a pretty effective fire. Um, well, it depends on whether you wanted it. He didn't stop him. Uh, but well, you, I, you, you know, you, I, did, I did say one time it didn't stop him, and I, I wish I would have had a 7.62 because it didn't stop him. And, and David Colbath that had been shot eight times and survived. He said, you stopped him from killing us. Yep. That's all that counts. Yep. Uh, you, you, you got the job done, sir. You know, and I, I wanted to just kind of go back a little bit and for the context of our listeners and viewers, uh, you know, you, you, you use language, something along the lines of, Oh, he's getting away. He's getting away. I need to stop him, you know, sort of thing. And I was thinking, you know, like we talk a lot of times in the podcast about being careful about, you know, going after a bad guy, particularly in like a, say a context of uh, like a home invasion, right? Well, once he's out of your home, he's out of your home, you know, he's no longer your problem sort of thing. But I just want to make it clear that now, while you certainly were under no obligation to go after this man, nor were you under any obligation to respond in the first place. You chose to do so, and I certainly see no problem. In fact, I, I think it's remarkable that you went after him and that you were concerned about him getting away. And the difference here is that this man had already made it known and clear as to his intent, and his intent was killing as many people as he could. So it's a different context than, say, some punk kid that breaks into your house and you know, like it's, that's a different context altogether. This, this was a, a, a live active threat and you went after him and the end result, like I said, is that you were effective and you did stop him. You, you know, at, at very least, at very least, if he would have gotten away, there would have been a shootout with police department in the end. Uh, the police department told me he had multiple guns in his vehicle and multiple loaded magazines ready to go. Uh, they even speculated that he might have been headed for another church. Uh, he actually had started the day going into First Baptist Church in Lavernia, which is seven miles down the road from Southern Springs. And they have him on video. He walked into the church, set halfway through the first song, and left the church in Lavernia and came to Sutherland Springs. There were, wow. there were two uniformed police officers that went to church at Lavernia. And they were there that morning in uniform with their guns. And again, this is just speculation, but they think that the visual deterrent he decided to come to Sutherland Springs first. Now, that being said, they still think that he was coming to Sutherland Springs because his uh, mother-in-law, mother-in-law and father-in-law went to Laverne, uh, to Florida, 
to Sutherland Springs Church. They went to that church and they believe he was after them. They weren't there that day, hmm. but they believe that he was after them. They speculate he may have wanted to start it in Lavernia. And then when the police and EMS and everybody ran to Lavernia, he was going to come to Sutherland Springs. Uh, but that's all just speculation. You you don't know what happened yep. in his head. He, he ended up, uh, as we came up on him, the police department tell me that he called his wife and his father and said, I've done something horrible and I've been shot multiple times and I'm not going to make it. And that's when he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. Mm. I didn't kill him. He killed himself. Yeah. I personally believe he may have been coughing up blood from the shot in the side and may, may have been bleeding very badly from the one in the legs, high in the legs, but uh, he killed himself. Yeah. I didn't kill him. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to your point about him visiting the church in Lavernia, this is not an untypical thing when we look at mass shooting or mass killing events. Uh, it's actually quite common that these perpetrators will go through. Uh, now, whether they're again, we don't know all his his intents here. Maybe he was thinking about doing something in Lavernia, but it could have also been uh, kind of like a what do they call it. There's a word for it, and I'm 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 spacing it, but. It's kind of like a pre-run through, like he's sort of like running through and preparing himself and and getting himself sort of ready to do it. Um, it's actually contrary to uh, probably what all, I mean. Yes, of course, these mass killers are are really really terrible people to be able to go through and do what they do and have done in a number of events throughout the years. But at at the core, they're still human beings, and it's not an easy thing. I don't care who you talk to. It's not, but it's not an easy thing to show up someplace where there's a bunch of people and just shoot them in cold blood like that. And so what we see from the Aurora theater shooter, what we see from uh, a number of these, uh, they, they, they will do similar things where they'll go to one location. Maybe they're scoping it out. Maybe they're thinking about doing something there. Maybe they don't quite have the guts to pull it off there. Maybe they see a couple of uniformed cops, whatever it is. But we see that in a few other instances as well. I just kind of wanted to, I was actually really glad you brought that up because I think that's a, an interesting thing to take note of. And I think for those of us that maybe are involved perhaps in even church security, or maybe we're not, maybe we, but maybe we attend various events uh, where there's a, a lot of people or a church or a school, we should be paying attention to the people around us and observing body language, and observing things like this and go, mm, you know, there's something not quite right about this guy. And, you know, not that, not that we can go calling the cops on everybody we feel uncomfortable about, but it, but it's, it's good that more and more of us in the communities uh, be, be aware of things like that and watching. And maybe that helps us, prevent something at some point from happening in the first place because we're able to notice something that's out of place with somebody and we can do something about it. I don't know. Your thoughts on that? We call them JDRs. Just don't look right. Mm -hmm. That's actually what we call them. Uh, I work with the church's safety response team now. Mm -hmm. And the 
getting together and stuff, and we have radios, and we call them JDRs, just don't look right. Mm. Uh, uh, the guy at the Walmart in El Paso, he drove six hours from Dallas to El Paso. Uh, he walked into the Walmart to get something to eat. And as he sat there and ate, he decided that there was nobody there with a gun to stop him, that it was a soft target. Yeah. Got to his vehicle, got his gun, and came back in, uh, which is really interesting that Walmart decided that they didn't want open carry in Walmart anymore because that's the exact reason he got his gun and went back into the Walmart is because he didn't see any resistance. But he went out, he went in and he scoped it out first. And he told the police afterward, and he just gave himself up at the end. He shot all his ammunition and then just waited for the police. Um, but he, he scoped it out first and decided it's a soft target, went back out, got his gun, came back in. I want to mention a few people mm. who, um, and a few things that happened that day. On the inside of the church, I told you uh, Chris Workman got shot and paralyzed from the waist down. I'm now trying to raise money to build Chris Workman a handicapped home. Mm. Julie Workman, his mother, got shot through the breast. Julie was an emergency room nurse. And as soon as the shooter left, Julie started tying tourniquets and saving lives within the church. Go out and get Stop the Bleed, get CPR, get first aid trained. We do that all the time. Uh, be ready because that's something that you may need besides. We get we got CPR, first aid, uh, defibrillator trained and Stop the Bleed and everything. Uh, be ready for that. Um, there's a guy named Gunny Macias. Gunny is a... Uh, retired Marine and Gunny got shot five times in the abdomen and Gunny after the shooter left yelled out in a loud booming voice uh, hallelujah hallelujah even in this praise God hmm. and uh, and started barking orders and telling people what they needed to do to save their lives he couldn't even stand himself but he was telling people, and sometimes in a panic situation, you just need to be told what to do or given permission to move. And Gunny was doing that. And then a little seven-year-old girl came up to Gunny and said, Gunny, I'm scared. And Gunny started singing, Jesus loves me with a little seven-year-old girl. Hank Farner. Hank is the first police officer that was in the building. Uh, he didn't know the shooter was gone. Hank looks all of 15 years old, if you look at him. But he ran in with his rifle ready to do battle and looked around. And when he saw the when he finally decided the shooter was gone, Hank had been collecting um, tourniquet kits, first aid kits out of his own pocket and putting them in his police cruiser for a long time. And the other officer says, why are you doing that? You're spending all your money on that. Are you expecting a mass shooting or something? And Hank would always say, you just never know what you're going to be confronted with. So Hank ran out of his car, opened up his car, his squad car, and got out first aid and tourniquets out of his car 
and was able to give them and distribute them to the people that were helping each other at that moment and saving lives before the first EMS and EMT showed up. So Hank is, is he's, he's, he's my hero. He's absolutely, he was there ready to do battle. And as soon as they told him there's a crash down the road, he jumped back in a squad car by then that already EMS and ambulance has gotten there and Hank jumped back in his car and came down to there to the crash scene, scene where I was. Mm. Uh, there were people like Johnny and, you know, had a neighbor that ran across the street and had some medical training. Uh, Kevin Jordan ran over, ran inside and started helping tie tourniquets and stuff before the EMS got there. Uh, there was just a lot of people that did a lot of courageous mm. things. I'm really glad that you mentioned and share those stories with us because uh, a lot of people do look at you as a hero, but the truth is there were many heroes there that day. There was. Mm. was. Do you mind if I ask a question here from a YouTube viewer? Uh, He calls himself Minute Man for Jesus. He asks, what are Stephen's thoughts about people coming to church with their firearms as our forefathers used to? I am absolutely in favor of it. They walk yeah. in the door, they're carrying packing on their side. Uh, Texas, we we have permitted carry, permitted open carry. I personally think it should be a constitutional open carry. Right. But I am not afraid of you walking into our church with your gun on your side. Uh, I, I, would, I would say if you're in the pews and something starts happening, keep everybody down in your pew and move them to the exits. Don't get in my way. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I know that, well, so I, I certainly have other questions for you, but I, I want to, again, make sure we do justice uh, to uh, some of the things we, we promised we would talk about. Uh, you, would you mind sharing with us what has it been like for you personally and for your family recovering from the the traumatic event? Well, I I think my family, I I can never be more proud of my family. Uh, My, my wife did come back to the house because my older daughter was, was just dead set on going over there. And so my wife came back to grab her and the shooter was gone already by then. But my wife and both my daughters went over to the church and started helping pull people out of the church and and comfort the people that were left. Um, my daughter was put in charge of a little seven-year-old girl that was, she had two of her siblings shot and killed in front of her. And then her mother that was pregnant covered her with her own body and died on top of this little seven-year-old girl. And they brought her out and they asked my daughter to take care of her until they could get things worked out. And so my daughter started singing Walt Disney songs with her and stuff, occupying her mind and and things. Now my family is suffering from PTSD, my wife included. Uh, And and it's it's been a struggle. Um, but things are looking up, you know, mm. um, 
things things are happening and and we're we're moving forward i don't think i suffered as much from ptsd by any means as they did but then they saw things that i did not i didn't go into the church i didn't see hmm. some horrible things that they saw uh, they didn't actually go into the church, but they saw what was being brought out of the church. And some of the, some of the horrific things that had happened, we lost 26 people. Uh, Zach Poston. Uh, Zach Poston was a senior in high school, 17 years old. He was already signed up to be a Marine. <laughs> Zach got, they dug seven bullets out of Zach. And Zach's grandmother crawled on top of Zach while he was being shot and she sacrificed her own life on top of Zach. Marines don't want Zach anymore. So he, his whole life changed at that moment. Uh, but, mm. but uh, he was given a scholarship by Shriners College. And now he's going to college. Mm. Uh, we have people like David Colbath, the shooter. The last shot that David Colbath suffered, he, he got hit eight times. And the last time the shooter put his boot on David's back and put the muzzle of the gun right between David's shoulder blades in the middle of his back. And he shot David in the back. The bullet turned in that inch of flesh between his back and his spine. It turned and went around his spine, went through his body, went between his lungs, clipped the sack underneath David's heart and lodged where you could feel it underneath his left arm. David survived. Tell me that that wasn't a God. Thing. Mm. Uh, uh, David, David survived and he's now traveling the country speaking as I am also. Um, Morgan, uh, Morgan Workman now it was Morgan Harris at the time. She was working the sound booth. She got shot four times in the leg. She's now work walking with braces on both her legs because of the lead poisoning leaching in, into her system out of the bullets. Wow. We had, had Ryland that was shot. Ryland was five years old at the time. He got shot five times. It destroyed Ryland's hip and femur. And the hospital that I used to work for put him back together. And also Zoe got shot. Zoe was a seven-year-old girl. got shot, and she got shot four or five times herself. And it destroyed her hip and her femur. Mm -hmm. The hospital put her back together, and they're running around just like any other little boy or girl. Uh, problem is, is, is they are going to need medical help all their life. Uh, we, we have so many stories of, of tragedy that has turned to just Rylan and Zoe are running around. You wouldn't know it mm. if you didn't know that they'd been shot. You wouldn't know it. They're running around with the rest of the kids. What a miracle. Yeah. Uh, University Hospital, where I used to work, University Hospital, was having a drill that day. 
and they had all the nurses and all the doctors on staff having a drill, and all of them were complaining about why are you having a drill on a Sunday? Hmm. This We could be spending time with our families at church. Why are we here on a Sunday? And then the call came out, and they were able to get all 20 ORs up and running before the first victim showed up. And if you can't see God's hand in on that, you're not looking very hard. Hmm. I know that uh, some would say that if God was really God or a loving God, that he wouldn't have allowed this to happen in the first place. What do you say to that? First off, we had 26 people that God called home that day. And they're in glory with him. Hmm. Uh, We're the ones that are left behind to to deal with it and we're they're in a better place um god gives us all free choice and if he took that man's free choice away then then there wouldn't be free choice remember this whole life no matter how if you live to be 113 years old it's just a blurb it's just a fraction and and if we suffer in this life for him, then we'll see our reward later. We we can't understand all of it, but our our trials and stuff will determine who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good response, uh, and, and is in line with how I view it as well. Uh, I actually think it's a, a sign of God's love for us that He allows us to to have free choice and our, our free will. Uh, and then, and then it also shows, you know, as some people say, God will never give you any more than what you can handle. That's not in the Bible anywhere. And we could not handle this by ourselves. Right. God will give you more than you can handle. But as long as you rely on him, you'll get through it. Yeah, yeah, that's you're right, and I I think that's that's how I interpret that statement. Actually, is he won't give us more than we can handle because he's got our back. He's got our back. I wasn't expecting to necessarily have a uh, a religious discussion here today, but uh, nor was I expecting to be uh, impacted emotionally like I have been listening to you share the personal details and stories uh, as a father of five. Uh, and I, I have, well, at the time of the shooting, I, I had a daughter that was seven years old. I had, you know, so listening to you share some of those details, I'm sitting there and just well, it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? The Holcomb family lost eight family members. Jennifer Holcomb, um, went through in vitro fertilization and, and, and fought to get pregnant. Finally got pregnant, had a baby girl, Noah. Noah was 18 months old and she lost Noah and her husband. They died in her arms. Um, that's two of the Holcombs that died. The Holcombs buried eight of their family members. And I went to the, uh, patriarch of the family. I went to Joe Hopem. They all call him Papa Joe. And I said, Joe, I am, 
I'm so sorry for your loss. And Joe Holcomb said, heck, I haven't lost anybody. He said, they just went before me. He said, I'm an old man. I'll see him before you will. Mm. Yeah. What's the story with the First Baptist Church? Is it is it reopened? Is it another, a memorial? Another uh, cool story about the First Baptist Church is Carla Holcomb. Uh, there was property behind the church, and it faced 87, which is a main road, and, and the church kind of faced into the, the town. And uh, there was property that, that was back behind the church, and and most Sundays you would find Carla Holcomb out there praying, walking the perimeter of the property. It was a being not being used. She was praying for God to give the proper property to the church. Mm. And the pastor of the church told her one time, you know, Carla, we will never be able to afford that property. And Carla looked at the pastor and said, I'm not praying that God sells us the property. She says, I'm praying that God gives us the property. After the shooting, Carla Holcomb was one of the ones that died. Her car was actually parked on that property that morning, meaning that before church had started, Carla was probably out there walking the perimeter, praying for that property, just like she so often did. And that morning, God told her, Carla, today is the day your prayers are answered but you're going to come home today too. After the shooting, Belden, he's a very wealthy businessman from Belden, Belden Roofing and Remodeling, bought the property behind the church and donated it to the church for the new building to be built. Mm. Our new building is gorgeous. Mm. And it's got bulletproof glass all the way around it. And, and it's got cement cinder blocks poured with cement and rebar all the way from ground all the way to the top steeple. It's a fortress. Mm. And Carla prayed for that property. And God gave us that property. Wow. That is amazing. Um, and also we have been able to Santa Fe, Texas, you know, about school shooting in Santa Fe, Texas, right? It happened less than a year after Sutherland Springs, Santa Fe, Texas went through a school shooting Mm -hmm. and, um, on my Santa Claus, that's what the beard and mustache is all about. I play Santa Claus every year. Uh, I, we load up Harleys with toys and stuff, and I put on a Santa hat. And I grow out my beard from August until Christmas, and we ride and we deliver toys throughout Wilson County. And I was able to uh, ask one of the young ladies that was a senior in high school in the Santa Fe shooting. She hid in the band hall and went through the shooting, and she rode with me uh, to deliver toys throughout uh, Wilson County, and she asked me, she said, how how can your community pull together like it did 
and my communities clawing themselves to pieces mm. because we have faith. Ours was done at a church. We know the answer. And we had a barbecue, uh, sponsored a barbecue at the church and invited all the families of victims and, and shooting victims to the church and had a big barbecue. We had been able to reach out. And, and I was with some families from uh, El Paso shooting. We had been able to reach people and, and let them know that they're, you will move on. You won't forget the people you lost, but God will bless you as long as you look to him. Yeah. Stephen, what do you think the, um, well, let me, let me rephrase this. Yesterday we were talking on the phone and uh, uh, you referenced Joe Biden <laughs> and, and said you might exchange words with him. Uh, but, but regardless, you know, not, not only Joe Biden, but obviously there's a lot going on in our country right now uh, as far as wanting to restrict further rights regarding, you know, with respect to the second amendment. What are your thoughts on the state of things right now? I mean, we're hearing about a lot of talk out of Virginia, Washington State, uh, even right here in my state, here in Colorado, uh, a lot of talk in this upcoming session about what they want to do to uh, increase gun control and, and supposedly solve these, these kind of problems. What is your response to everything going on right now? Well, I was, I was real fortunate because the, uh, the governor of the state of Texas called me to a roundtable meeting and I sat in a roundtable meeting with him seven hours where we talked about what we could do to um, have an impact and how, how we could do things that would impact keeping criminals from getting guns and, and not law, not infringe on law abiding citizens. The shooter in Sutherland Springs, um, had a felony for fracturing his infant son's skull. Mm -hmm. He had a felony for cruelty to an animal. He, uh, family violence. He had escaped from a mental institution and, uh, he was dishonorably discharged from the United States air force. And the air force didn't enter any in any of those into the next program. Any one of which, would have stopped him from buying the gun that he bought. Right. And they did not enter it into the NICS system, which the DOJ is blocking the lawsuit against the Air Force that could help people like Zoe and Zach and, and Rylan and David Colbath and stuff. They're blocking all that. Hmm. Uh, first, Governor, I mean, uh, Senator John Cornyn uh, offered the fix NICS bill which forces the air force and all the armed forces to enter those things into the system, into the instant background check system, but it didn't go back. It didn't go back retro. And there's over 70,000 people that have been buying guns that were just passed up by the, the military, not entering their information in. We need to fix things like that. We need to, if you're a felon and you walk into a gun store and you say, I want to buy a gun and you 
get turned down. It shouldn't be the gun store's obligation to enter that. It should be in the program when you enter it in, then it kicks it out. You're a felony. You just tried to buy a gun and the police department need to knock at your door. And that was uh, Cruz Grassley. Uh, Senator Cruz and Senator Grassley offered a bill to, to push that. And uh, the Democrats filibustered it and kept it from going into the law. Why would they do that? Because they're an all or nothing thing. They want all the guns to be banned or nothing. They would rather leave it like it is, broken, so things keep happening, rather than fix what you can fix and hopefully slow it down. Yeah. You know, uh, again, I got to refer to the Bible. The Bible said this world is a fallen world and it's going to get worse. And we, we as Christians, we as, we as Second Amendment lovers and stuff, we need to do what we can to stop it. You cannot completely stop evil from happening, but once it starts, you can stop it. And, and we just need to step up. Everybody that carries a gun and the, you know says, I would, I would go out, practice, hit the range, do shooting and moving, uh, practice. I, I would suggest the, the drill that I told everybody on the safety response team in the church when they said, oh, you're going to help us train. What, do, what are we going to do this month? I said, this is going to be a lot of fun. I want you to stand in front of your mirror with an unloaded gun for 15 minutes every day this month. Pull your shirt up, pull your gun out, and bring it up. Reholster, pull your shirt up, pull your gun out, bring it up. Because mm. you can't do that at ranges. Most ranges will not let you draw. With an empty gun, you need to practice drawing. Yep. But studies have proven if you never practice drawing, you just go out and shoot at flat targets like I told you about earlier. And then the panic hits and you grab a handful of shirt and your gun and then you're struggling trying to and you're going to be you're going to have a problem. So the first month what we did was learn how to draw our guns from our concealment. Just work on drawing something you can do at the house. Work on drawing your gun from your concealment. The second month, they're like, are we going to the range? No, I want to make sure you guys are safe first. Sit in one of the chairs like the church pew and draw your gun from a seated position in a chair. This month, that's what we're doing. We're drawing guns from a seated position in a chair. And, and then we go to the range, you know. Uh, and, and the next thing, we're going we're gonna to start doing that from a car, drawing a gun from a car from seated inside a car. Those are practical things that you don't have to be at a range to do, but there's the things that you don't think of until a panic situation. And then if you're in a panic and, and your brain has not been trained to do it correctly, you'll mess it up. Mm. Yeah. Dude, you're speaking my language. This is, uh, stuff that uh, we've talked about on the podcast many times. We're big, big, big believers in dry fire practice, which is what you just described. And uh, yeah, so 
folks. Uh, I know that many watching today, there's been a lot of very positive comments about, uh, you know, th- this, this episode and this interview together with you, Stephen, uh, you've heard it from the man. All right. The man says, go practice, dry fire, do whatever you got to do. Joe Biden is in San Antonio today. And, uh, I even signed up to go thinking that I could uh, maybe get through the crowd and ask because Joe Biden said I should never have had the AR-15 that I did. <laughs> and my question to Joe Biden was going to be if Hunter Biden and your wife would have been sitting in the pews of the church, would you have cared what kind of gun I used to stop the shooter? And so I signed up to go and stuff and thought, you know, I can just walk in. Nobody's going to know me. Not a big deal. Maybe I can work my way to the front and actually ask the vice president a question. Mm. Well, I thought, um, I I guess I'm naive in so many ways because uh, the next thing I got is a personal text. Mr. Walker, are you coming to Joe Biden's event? I text. I'm thinking, does he really text everybody? Yep, I know. <laughs> Do you need directions? Sure. So they sent me directions. And um, then I texted, but I don't have a ticket. And uh, <laughs> I was at the uh, Wilson County Republican Christmas party last night. And I'm out there meeting and greeting all the other candidates and stuff. And I've got four that run against me. Three of them were there last night, shook hands with them. It's a nice to see you guys. It's going to be a fun run and everything. And, and the phone goes off and I pick it up and it's Joe Biden's campaign. Mr. Willifer, <laughs> we would like you to come here early t- tomorrow. I said, I still don't have a ticket. Just tell them who you are at the door and they'll bring you in. I'm not going tonight. (laughs) (laughs) They already know who I am and they are not going to let me ask Joe Biden a question. (laughs) In fact, they're going to try, if I went, they would probably try to use me. They would probably recognize me in the crowd. Hey, there's Mr. Williford up there. See, he even supports me and that wouldn't be right there. Right. (laughs) I wouldn't have had a chance to speak anyway. So it would look like I was actually there to support him. So yeah. um, I've well, decided against uh, going to his, his uh, thing tonight. That's understandable. I think his answer to your question would probably be a, a quote, a, a quote of his own previous words that he just grab his double barrel shotgun, walk into the church and put two blasts off into the air. And that'd scare the shooter off. Wouldn't it? Oh yeah. He, he just emptied his shotgun, and now he's the biggest target in the room. Just all the call, you know. Again, I ran over there. He was shooting at me. He wasn't scared of my gun till I till I hit him. So <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You will run right in there and blast two shots in there. Yeah, you'll bring it down on you, yeah. and, and you won't have anything to defend anyone else with. That's right. I am so thankful, Stephen, that you had. Had your AR-15. I am so thankful uh, that you took it upon yourself to to grab it, to not take any thought for yourself, for even shoes, and that you ran towards the gunfire. 
and that you brought an end to 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 the death that was taking place within the walls of that building that day. I just, I'm so thankful I, for you, brother. I want to say that I'm not that unusual. There's all kinds of people out there that just like me that would have done the same thing. Yes, there are. Yes, there are. I mean, I I am so thankful for Wilson County Police Department. They were running as fast as they could to be there. And those are brave officers. They would have been there in a heartbeat had they could. But you can't always have a police officer when you need one. I'm thankful for our military that go overseas and risk their lives on foreign soil with the chance of never returning home alive. I, I appreciate them and the ones that do return home and that would do the same thing that I did. I, 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 we have heroes everywhere. And I also want to thank and tell people out there, there's everyday heroes in, in life. And what I mean is there's fathers like yourself, father of five, that take care of your family and, and watch over your family and protect your family every day and go to work. And, and earn money to put food in their mouth and stuff. Uh, and, you know, you bring up your family and God's will and stuff. You're an everyday hero. One little moment in my life doesn't define who I am. You know, it doesn't make me a hero or anything else. It's everyday heroes of people that go out there and do the best they can to make this country free. And what we, I mean, I, it's nothing more I enjoy than throwing my leg over my Harley Davidson and rolling down the road. And that freedom is paid for by the price of everybody, everybody from law enforcement to our military, first responders, EMTs, doctors, nurses, and guess what? Even plumbers like myself. Hmm. You know what, Stephen? I think that was so well said. I think that's a, a very good note to leave uh, the show on. Um, and I thank you for that. And I thank you for this interview today, for taking time out of your day to do this with us. And I'm confident that there are those listening or viewing, uh, whether live or after the fact, that have benefited greatly from hearing your words today. So thank you, sir. Look me up on Facebook and on the internet. Please contribute to my campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, What's your I, website? Uh, well, go to my Facebook and uh, my website is WilliferdForTexas.com. That's that. my website, and it has contribution buttons, and you don't have to be in my, this, my precinct to contribute. Right. Is that Williford numeral four? Four. Yeah. The, the number four as opposed yeah. to F-O-R? F-O-R. WilliferdForTexas. Gotcha. Um, all one word, lowercase. WilliferdBarTexas.com and uh, click on click on share it with everybody. Go to my Facebook. I um, request me, especially if you're a Christian loving, uh, God fearing, gun loving, um, American freedom kind of person. Go request me, and I'll approve you. I, I don't know how many. I, I they they say there's a five thousand uh, limit. To Facebook. Let's see if we can't get there. <laughs> All right. There you go. Uh, Steve Wilford, you are a, you're a great man, and I wish you the best in your campaign. 
I hope that you are able to continue making positive differences. I know you're doing a lot of great things and, and we didn't even get into everything that you're doing. I know you're doing, you're working a lot with your community, with the state of Texas, with churches, with law enforcement agencies, uh, and, and folks, I think you can learn a lot about that from his Facebook uh, page there. And so go follow him, like him, uh, support him, and uh, also the community of Sutherland Springs. It was uh, really cool to hear about some of the th- things that are happening um, there. And uh, are there any other sites or anything else that you want to put out there, Stephen? Well, I've got a... Uh at stephenwolliford.com is my public speaking site. And you can go there if you if your church or an organization, uh, uh, a business, and you want to bring me to speak. I do motivational speaking and stuff. And I talk about the event and, and what it takes to be a sheepdog, uh, what it takes. And then I never thought I'd be this, but uh, I was called out and spoke before 70,000 people with Donald Trump standing behind me. Yes. <laughs> what a shocking thing for a poor little redneck plumber. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I do, I, I work with several different organizations to make churches safer places and do speeches for them and stuff. That's great. StephenWilford.com. Well, Stephen, we're going to sign off of here and uh, let you get back to your time with your family and your campaign and everything else you've got going on. So again, thank you, sir. I look forward to touching base with you again, hopefully maybe even shaking hands in person. And uh, until then, I wish you simply the best. Okay. Thank you. I'm coming to North Carolina. That that doesn't include you, but... (laughs) Give me back to Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Shake your hand. All righty, sir. Well, I may be past. You never know. I may find myself in Texas. So, there you go. yeah. Well, I'll take you to the Riverwalk if you come down. You got my phone number. All righty. I'll take you up on that if I make it. If I make it down. All right. All righty. Well, folks, uh, I tell you, this has been a fantastic interview. Uh, Mind blowing interview. Emotional interview. Spiritual interview inspiring interview uh i hope that you got all that out of it as well like i did so again one last call out uh give steven some support williford for texas.com i put it on the screen there for those of you that that are watching the video and uh, for those of you in the podcast only feed that is w-i-l-l-e-f-o-r-d-f-o-r-t-e-x-a-s.com And so we're going to let you all go. You all take care now and be safe no matter where you are. Get some dry fire practice in. Get to the range. Get some live fire practice in too. That's all good. Get some training. You guys have all heard it before. Now you're hearing it again. And until we meet again, train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast